This morning, I want to talk about the resurrection and you, including me. Without the resurrection, none of the promises in God, some 600 plus, would ever come to be unless he rose from the dead. The cultural climate in the 1700s in Europe was filled with rationalism, Gnosticism, and deism. All of these isms denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But God raised up two atheists, one by the name of Gilbert West and the other by Lloyd Littleton. And according to the encyclopedia, we read this. In the 1700s, while studying at Oxford, English poet Gilbert West and the Baron George Littleton set out together to disprove two major events in Christian history. By that they thought they could destroy Christianity. They agreed that Saul's conversion and the resurrection of Christ would be the two things they needed to destroy. And they agreed that after a year of painstaking work and research, they would get together and share their conclusions. Eventually, they concluded when they got together, Gilbert uh, Lloyd Littleton was convinced that Saul was converted. It wasn't due to an epileptic fit. It wasn't due to some irrational vision, but that it was actually true. And George West agreed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was actual. Both came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And they agreed that Jesus genuinely rose from the dead as they became believers of him. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read verses 3 to 8 on Paul's writing on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8. This morning, I'm going to start with uh, bad news, and we're going to end up with good news in this message. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died according for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles and last of all as to one untimely born he appeared to me also Paul stakes his life his ministry on the truthfulness and the actuality that Jesus physically rose from the dead. In fact, Paul was trained by the glorified Lord in the deserts of Arabia. In verses 16 and 19 of this same chapter, we read this. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. True. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're wasting our time preaching the gospel. We're wasting our time standing and doing in church. We ought to do what pleases us for our life is very short. Now, the purpose of the resurrection is very important because of the reality of death. Last year, 67.1 million people died. When you stop and figure that out, as I tried to do with my calendar, we realize that 18,383 people die every day. That means that 765 people die every hour. That means that 12 people die every minute. 
We're all going to die. It's a reality of life. Death in scriptures, physical death, spiritual death, and the second death, both all are crisis experiences in life. The nature of which is separation, never annihilation. The Bible speaks of three deaths. There's a physical death. There's a, there's a spiritual death. Let me put them in order. There's a spiritual death. There's a physical death. And there's a second death. This death, spiritual death, is the whole of mankind. This is the dissolution of Adam's spiritual unity with God. When Adam was created, he had unity with God. He walked with God in the garden. And he met with God and communicated with God personally. He had one warning in a, in a garden that was positive in every sense of the word. Nothing in the garden spoke of negativity. And while he was in the garden talking to God, he got one rule. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the center of the garden. You know the story how Satan tempted Eve and how she ate of the fruit, gave to Adam, and he ate. And as a result, we as the children of Adam, the Bible tells us very clearly in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek after God, no, not one. Isaiah 59.2 puts it this way. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In Ezekiel chapter, 10, or chapter 18 verse 20. The Bible says the person who sins will die. It's interesting isn't it that we do not bear the sins of our fathers. And we, do, our children, do not bear our sins. We are all responsible for our own sins. And there's not a person in this room that can say he has never sinned. Unbelievable. We are separated from God. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I remember uh, many times having stood by in a, in a funeral and taking people to the grave and seeing them buried or cremated, whatever the case may be. But they were, but all of us die because we've all sinned. Ephesians 2.5 says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, we were made alive together with Christ. So what's the definition of physical or spiritual death? Spiritual death is the moral and spiritual separation from God. And is the present state of all who are unsaved. So spiritual death has affected every one of us. And Jesus is the only cure for dying spiritually and being raised with him. Let's take a look at physical death. This is the dissolution of the human person. Physical death is the temporary separation of the body from the soul or and or the spirit. Physical death is a sentence on all people with very few exceptions. The exceptions so far have been Enoch and Elijah. The future exception will be all those who are alive when Jesus comes for, for the church. You know, that's a sad thing. I have, uh, in over the years of my ministry, I buried people of every age. I remember sitting in a cemetery in Kansas City with a husband and his wife, and their child was born and died in the womb, and she delivered a dead baby. And we sat there, and she could sing, and the four of us sang in Christ alone. I've also been at a funeral where the baby only lived 20 some seconds or more. 
I've been at a funeral where they didn't, they lived longer. Babies have lived longer. I buried children who were not yet in their teens. I buried high school kids, one 15-year-old who took his own life. I buried two other high school kids of cancer. And I've buried people in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. What a sad thing that is. Death is not pretty in any situation. And the definition, a very interesting verse is found in Genesis chapter 35, or chapter 35 verse 18. As, Re, as uh, Rebecca died, it says this. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Benomi, but his father called him Benjamin. Physical death is the leaving of the spirit and soul separating from the body. It's never, it's never annihilation. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. There is consciousness of life. There is consciousness after death, according to the scriptures. When I read the number 67.1 million died last year, 12 every minute. Where do they all go? What happens to them? What's, them, what's the situation now? What's the situation when you and I face death? And we all will. It's not a question if. The only possibility is if the Lord comes. That's our only hope. 1984, my father was told he had pancreatic cancer, that he's got about four or five months to live. So I told him and I talked to him about it and he said, Rod, I'm still waiting. I'm waiting for the rapture of the church. How many years ago was that? And I too am waiting for the rapture of the church, the coming of Jesus Christ for the church. But if not, death, physical death, is a not a possibility, it is a reality. It is appointed unto man once to die. Just as you were born at a certain point, at a certain time, with certain parents, you will die physically at an appointed time. I don't know when that is. When I was in Hutchinson, Kansas, I heard on the news a man who stopped at a stop sign and he was waiting for the stop sign to turn and he was hit with a bullet right here and it killed him instantly. The police traced that bullet, the arc of that bullet, all the way to where it came from and the house it came from and they found a man who was home for lunch on a lunch break, went out and took his 22 rifle and shot it in the air. And the bullet came down, and the window of this guy was down about two and a half inches. The bullet came through the window and hit him. Would you say that was his appointed time? Had he had the window up, he wouldn't have died. You and I have a, a meeting with death God has already determined. In fact, the Bible says in James 2.26... For as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So there's a spiritual death. We're all separated from God. There's a physical death which will separate us from physical life down here on earth. There's another death called the second death. The second death is reserved for all who will not repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, chapter 20, verse 13. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13 to 15. Or actually 14. The Bible says this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is 
the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is for the unsaved and it is the final and permanent state involving the irrevocable continuance of spiritual death and the possible repetition of physical death. That's what we might call it, the second death. Bad enough to have to die once, physically, but have to die again from your intermediate state. I don't have time to develop the intermediate state, but the intermediate state is from the time you die until the resurrection. We're, done, we're all uh, who have died before us are in an intermediate state. Some with the Lord and some in Hades itself. What a sad deal. Now let's look at the cure for death. It's the redemptive plan of God. It involves the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was fit, was suitable to remove the guilt and penalty of sin. All of us have sinned and then we're guilty of the spiritual death. But Jesus sent a cure. For Christ, it says in 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also died for sins once for all. The just Christ for the unjust us, so that we might, he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There's another passage here I didn't include, but it could include it. It is in 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. And it says this, And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's take a look at that as well. Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived as a man for 33 years. He lived as a man, he experienced everything a man can experience, from birth to his death, apart from sin. He didn't commit one sin, not one fault. And he was perfectly righteous. There was no reason for Jesus to die. No reason. We die because we sin. And we deserve it. None of us here who are adult or none of us who can think clearly really understand that we, we have all miss, missed the mark. We have all sinned at some point. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read, He made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He treated him as a sinner, though he did not sin. And so as a result, Jesus went to the cross voluntarily, took upon himself our sin. As God, he could take all of our sins and he was judged on the cross. We had a good Wednesday kind of a service and we read the scriptures. We didn't get this far in it, but Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. Three hours he communicated with the people around him, the thief on the cross, John with his mother, asking for a drink. But suddenly at noon, he got on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. At noon, the sky went black, great earthquake, split the rocks. I've been in a 4.5 earthquake, but I've never been in an earthquake, nor I've ever heard of one, that actually split rocks wide open. A massive earthquake. Furthermore, the, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And then that was the end of the temple worship. All of these things happen when the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, Receive the judgment for our sins. All of them. Every one of them. He paid the price. He paid the price. And he was treated as though he sinned even though he had not. 
What's interesting is what we read later. He satisfied God's wrath against sin. How much does God actually hate sin? God hates sin so much that one little sin of Adam casts millions and billions of people separate from God. One little sin. Don't eat of this tree. And he deliberately transgressed God and ate of the tree. And all of us who are his offspring carry his sin nature and his guilt. So God's wrath was poured out. But Jesus Christ bearing that penalty for those three hours. It evidently was sufficient in the mind of God to be sufficient for all the sins. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25, let's take your Bible and take a look at that. Romans 3, 24 and 25. In this passage we read this. Paul says, being, remember the first verse, the verse preceding is all of sin come short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Being justified. What is that? What is being justified? Justified means that God declares the believer at the moment of faith justified. It's more than just as if I had not sinned. It is absolute forgiveness of sin and declaring the person who comes to Christ by faith as being righteous. You, can't, you and I cannot stand in God's holy presence. He's perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect holiness. And we're the opposite. The only way we can get and stand before God is that Christ, the righteousness of God be given to us, imputed to our account, credited to us by faith. In essence, when a person is justified in the presence of God, he is as good as Christ is good. You believe that? We stand before God as a believer in Christ. With his righteousness. We're declared righteousness. You can never lose that. That's permanent. Do I sin? Yes. Do you sin? Yes. But if we confess our sin, we are restored to fellowship with the Lord. We never lose that righteousness, that standing before God. And also this is done by grace. Grace, is not, grace means it's something you don't work for. Years ago in Dallas Seminary, when Lewis Perry Chafer was still the president of the seminary and still a theological teacher there, he said, uh, we're going to have our final test. And he said, to be honest with you, students, probably one of the roughest tests I've ever dreamed of. So study. Some studied hard. Some crammed hard. 24 hours before the test, they didn't want to lose their standing. Some said, well, I'll do what I can. Others said, I, there's no way I'm going to pass it. I ain't going to worry about it. So the morning of the test, the blue books were handed out. The tests were handed out. Some looked at it five minutes, turned it in. Some looked at it for a half hour, turned it in. Some after end of two hours were not even done with the test. They had to quit. They turned it in. Then the grade day came. And everybody in that particular class got an A. And you know what Chafer said when people griped? Who griped the most? Sure. The people that worked the hardest griped the most. But the people who did nothing got an A. What is that? That's grace. That's pure, 100% grace. We are justified not by anything we did. All we did was realize we were sinners and accepted God's call to salvation. 
and having repented of our sin and walking with him. It's all grace. Do you know that God gives us rewards? You know why God gives us rewards? He gives us rewards because otherwise people might think they're working off their salvation. It's like a bonus. When the company gives you a bonus, it's not because of work performed. It's just out of the gracious goodness of the company itself. They're enjoying their riches. Furthermore, this verse tells us that a redemption which is in Christ Jesus. All of us in our spiritual death, under the threat of spiritual death, are slaves. We're slaves to our sin nature. We are slaves serving Satan. We're slaves. I've had people say to me, well, I don't know that I want to be a Christian. I don't want to give up this, that, or the other thing. You couldn't give it up if you had to. I remember working with some people in AA, and we had a Bible study, and I remember them telling me that they were in AA, and they were going through it, and they were told to give up drinking, and how many days they were free and they said, what's any really interesting is we gave up drinking and started smoking. We gave up drinking and we started some other evil. The point, of course, being that we were bought out of that. When you and I became a Christian, we were bought out of the slave market of sin. We were no longer slaves. We were free to serve Christ. Unfortunately, our flesh still wants to serve the old sin and drop back into slavery. It's just like the children of Israel. They were glad to get out of Egypt, but as soon as tough times came, they said, can we go back to Egypt? We love the garlics and the cucumbers of Egypt. They're free to serve the Lord. They have a great future ahead of them. We were bought out of the slave market of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Whom God displayed publicly on a tree by the road on a cross as a propitiation of blood through faith. In his blood through faith. You know? You know propitiation means satisfaction. Jesus Christ bore our judgment and God's wrath was completely satisfied. God is no longer angry with the person who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's going to treat us with grace. And he does. His blood bought that. So all the people who saw that and saw it in faith saw God being satisfied with his own son's shed blood and sacrifice. The blood and bulls and goats couldn't satisfy anybody in the Old Testament. Didn't satisfy God. It was merely an illustration of his son dying on the cross. Then we received, by the way, the righteousness of Christ. We received his righteousness in Romans 5, 9. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We're justified, we're saved. It's not that you join this church. It's not that you're baptized. It's not that you've been baptized as a baby. It's not any of those spiritual rights. It's your own personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that makes this possible. Then he gave us the gift of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. John 10, 28 to 30. Let's turn to that passage. We who have been born again, we who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have eternal life, life that will never die. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To die suddenly in a car accident or shot by a bullet or to die at the end of a long illness and suddenly go to sleep and never wake up again on this earth. That moment they pass from death unto life, they're in the presence of Jesus Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord.
What a hope that is. I've stood by a number of people who have passed away, my own father and others, and they took their sigh of breath, and that was it. And they're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. That's not true of the unsaved. They take their last sigh of breath. They're immediately in Hades. They're immediately in a place called torments. No breaks. No breaks. Jesus says this in John 10, 28, verse through 30. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. That's a double negative in the Greek. It means they will never, no, never perish. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and you're worried that you can sin out of him and lose it, I'm here to tell you, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He says, I give to them eternal life, and they will no, never, ever perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Who's more powerful than Jesus Christ? And secondly, he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch him out of his Father's hand. You see, the Father and I are one. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you're put in Christ's hand and it were as though God the Father put his hand over that hand. That hand. Now, if you're a parent, if you haven't had your child rebel against you at some point, you're not really a parent. Right? I remember the day our, one of our ch child says, we said, pick up the toys, and she, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Said no. What? Now I'm bigger than the child. Her mother was bigger than the child. And we realized right then and then we had a battle. And she was in my wife's hands and I'm my hand over him. We didn't kick her out of the family. We didn't do that. We loved her. And so we had to do some corrective measures to teach submission. And God has to do that with us. Occasionally God has to take us to the woodshed for us to realize who is God and who's in control of our life. Who is our father? And once we settle that, peace. Peace. You ever did something during the day? And you go to bed at night, starts to bother you. And you lay there and try to rationalize yourself out of it. And suddenly you say, okay, I give. Lord, forgive me, I was wrong. And then you know what? Peace comes. Peace comes. You don't lose your salvation if you're truly born again. If you're not truly born again, you never had it. And let me put it this way to you. There are a lot of people who say they're saved, but they aren't. Just because a person says he's saved doesn't mean he's saved. How do I know he's saved? By his fruits. You see the changed life. You see an attitude different. You see a love for Christ you never saw before. You see a respect for Christ that was never there. The righteousness of God. In 8th chapter, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 30, take a look at the order. Take a look at the order of salvation. He says, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. 
And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All of those are in the past tense, except the glorification part. That's reserved for the future for us. Now there's an external call that comes. This is the proclamation of the gospel of grace. Believing in Christ is not merely a nod to God. It's one of repentance. It is the reality that I'm a sinner and I need to change. I can't go on this way. I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And I repent of my sin. One is not saved until they realize they are a sinner, repentant of their sins. In Acts chapter 16, verse 30 to 31. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the jailer. In those days, if you were the jailer and someone escaped, you were at fault. Your life was in danger. So the jailers were very careful. This was a dangerous job, and he couldn't let him go. Paul was thrown in jail, and in stocks and bonds, he and Silas began to sing praises. They began to glorify the Lord. An earthquake came, shook the jail to the point that Paul and the prisoners were free. The jailer runs down and everybody's free. Scared to death. And he's heard these songs all night. He said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe. This is not a nod to God. This is a genuine belief that Jesus Christ died for his sins. No doubt he heard it during the morning and evening. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, we read this. For by grace, unmerited, unearned favor, you may be the worst of sinners. I can tell you who are the worst of sinners here this morning. All of us who are the oldest ones. We've all sinned more than anybody else. And you'll get there someday too. The Lord spares you. We've all sinned more than anybody else. Every day we sin. And you know what? I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. That's all. I've done nothing to earn it. Nobody ever has. You have been saved by f through faith. And that not of yourselves. You know what? Even the gift of faith is from God's grace. Even the gift. Wow. Saved by faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that we may, no one may boast. No one in heaven is going to say, I was a Sunday school teacher. I have a pen. I never missed Sunday school all my life. Sorry, that's not why you got to heaven. You got to heaven because somebody else did the work, and the someone else who did the work was none other than Jesus Christ himself. And it says, we are, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. John 1.10 says, for he was in the world, that's speaking of Jesus, and the world was made by, through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, Israelites, and those who were his own did not receive him. In fact, they crucified him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, even to them, who's, those to who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but the will of God. For children of God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The external call says in essence that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead you shall be saved. For with the heart person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The scripture says, whosoever believes in him will not be disappointed. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever call will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay. If you're here this morning, you are going to die. One hope, the Lord will come. But if you're here without Christ, you're going to die. You're going to die. And the question that you need to answer, and you need to answer quickly, is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him? If you don't, you have a reason to worry. You have a reason to worry the sun is going to burn out. You have a reason to worry we're going to lose all our energy. You have reason to believe that we'll be in war with China. You have reason to worry about the fact of what's going on in Iran. You better not look at the news if you want any happiness. But if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you know this. God is absolutely in control of this world. And he has our work cut out for us. We are his workmanship. And if all, you know what, breaks loose, God will take care of you. Someone asked me this morning as we were talking about our church and how many babies have been born here and are going to be born here in the next months and last few months. I said, man, it's kind of risky to have children at this time. No, as a believer, we believe that God will take them through whatever the world has liked as just as he has done up till now. He'll take care of your children. Now the resurrection. The resurrection of the dead. First of all, there's a resurrection of everyone. Everybody in this room will be resurrected, believer and unbeliever. Here's what Daniel said. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting condemn. You're either going to be raised and go to heaven, and your body will be, join your spirit in heaven, or you'll be, die and go to hell and be raised to stand judgment later. There's no hope. No hope. Look at John chapter 5, 25. Verse 25. Jesus talking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Believers. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave life to the Son, also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man who hears his voice. You know, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we have a judge that loves us. We have a judge who cared for us. We have a judge who died for us. We have a judge who knows what it's like to live on this earth. I'd rather stand before him, wouldn't you? Well, look at the unbeliever now. Oh, let me finish this passage. In verse 29, or verse 27, he gave authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and will come forth those who did good deeds to resurrection of life, those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. To the unbeliever, Back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 to 13. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from those things which were written in the, book, in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Two books are open. Book of life, book of works. Okay, we're looking for John Doe. So he's standing up here in this judgment seat and the book of life is opened up. 
There's Jildo, and there's Gray. Uh, Got to get one last J. Harry Joe. But there's no John Doe here. Whoops. Let's close this book and let's look at the book of deeds. John Doe is a good guy. Gave the Red Cross, gave blood, fought for his country, was polite, never committed any immorality. He had some good works. Now let's measure his work to the work on the cross. How does his work stand up to the work on the cross of Jesus? He came far short of the glory of God and was thrown into the lake of fire. Now some believe that he died again. The second death. Another physical death. And is tormented in the lake of fire. How long? You know how long forever is? I can't comprehend that. I've heard it explained if the earth were an iron ball, steel iron ball, and a sparrow would come every hundred years and wipe his beak on that iron ball, eternity would take him to completely erode that iron ball away. You know, quite frankly, if that don't cause you to really pray for the unsaved and want to witness to the unsaved, I don't know what would. Then, for the believer, the child of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 rather, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It's raised an imperishable body. Yeah, when you stand at a funeral, when you stand before a person who's dying, it's a perishable body. Everything is going wrong. Until finally, the heart quits. The breathing stops. Not a pretty scene. We're sown in the ground, perishable, but it's raised an imperishable body. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. Talking to you and I are believers. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears the second time, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. We got a cute little dog and spoiled rotten. But it's the kind of dog that you can take up and he likes to lay on your lap or on your chest and, and you can pet him and so forth. And I'll look at that dog. That dog was not created in the image of God. He doesn't even know he exists. You can put him in front of a mirror and he thinks he's seeing another dog. He has no self-consciousness. He doesn't have the ability to worship. He doesn't have the ability to cry or laugh. He, he'll pass away, he'll die, and he'll never know he ever existed. He'll, know, he'll never know he ever was. We think of our other two dogs and we talk about them. They never knew they were here. But you have a self-conscious. You know you're here. You know who you are. You have the ability to worship. You have the ability to reason. You have the ability for a lot of things because you have in certain effects the character of God in minute form. He created you. He wanted you to be with him. He wanted you to realize his glory. So when the day comes of our resurrection, after our death, and we are raised again, we'll have a body, physical body like him. Jesus ate. Jesus walked. 
He had a body that was not totally physically designed like ours today. It's made up differently. He could walk into a room without opening the door. He could travel at thought. And I don't know all the ramifications of that. I know just simple things. But the greatest enjoyment you have in this earth will be ten times or more greater on the other side. Paul said, you know what? I saw a picture of the other side. First, Second Corinthians 12. And I'm telling you, I can't even talk about it. And he told the Philippians, it's far better. I'd rather be here, there than here. That's the best description we get, except in the negatives in Revelation. No crying, no separation, no death. Which is it this resurrection morning? Are you rejoicing in that new life, that physical, spiritual life? Or are you swelting under the pressure of second death, which is sure to take place? Let us stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have eliminated eternal death, spiritual death. But we pray, Father, for those who are still under the curse, who still are walking under that curse of sin and slave to sin, and have not been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray this day, this celebration of Easter, as we call it, this would be the day that some young person, some middle-aged, some older person would place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray that they would make that turn today and by faith accept your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.